You're listening to audio from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. If you'd like to learn more about Parkview, find more resources, or give to our ministry, please visit parkviewchurch.org. Good morning. My name is Joella, and I serve as a deacon here at Central Campus. Today I will be reading from our passage today, which is Luke 4, 31 through 44. So if you'd like to open your Bibles or scroll to that, the words will also be on the screen. You'll notice that um, we are reading a little bit from our passage last week, but want to give some context for today's um, main verses for the message. So Luke 4, 31. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, And he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! Who are you, or what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ." And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Thank you, Joella. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The theme verse of the Gospel of Luke. Last week we were looking at Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth. We saw a strong revelation of Jesus' identity. We saw a very poor response to it there in Nazareth, his own town. And we saw him rebuke that opposition. Jesus confronts the preconceived ideas of his hometown people by drawing parallels between them and the people of Israel during the time of Elijah and Elisha. The rejection of the prophets led to missing out on blessings. This parallel infuriated them. I've entitled today's message, What Must Be Done, but I thought it'd be appropriate that we stop and pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, as we've just sung, holy, holy, none beside you worthy is your name. Lord, we just 
echo those words from our hearts as we recognize how amazing you are. Father, we ask you to receive our praise. And Lord, as we think about you and even about this passage and about these people, we can't help but have our hearts ache for Israel today. Father, our hearts are broken to think of those who have died in these attacks. Our minds can't even imagine what those who have been taken captive will have to endure. And Father, we just ask that you would work in a mighty way. And Lord, we understand from your word why Israel has been the center of controversy all these centuries. And Lord, it's your nation and you are not done with it. So Father, we just commit them to you. We just pray that you would grant all those in authority the wisdom needed. And Father, would you be near to those who are captive, who are struggling, who are maybe hanging on to life by a thread. Father, we pray for our own land, for our own nation, for our own community, and we ask that your power would move mightily today, that you would be exalted in all the Bible-preaching, gospel-proclaiming churches around the world. And Father, may people even come to faith, and we commit this all to you. Work and have your way. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Today's primary text is the final three verses of, of chapter 4, and that being said, I wanted us to connect back to the chapter a little bit more as we wind it down. This morning, we will see that the proclamation of the gospel was in, never intended to be focused on one location or one people group. It was meant to be shared to all. And the content of the sharing is that the kingdom of God is near and yet to come. Also that provisions of temporal blessings was secondary in importance to Jesus. His priority was on that which is eternal. Look with me now again at verse, at verse 42 of Luke 4, where it says, And when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him, and would have kept him from leaving them. It's important to notice where Jesus is departing from and why they are so determined to keep him there. And the people sought him, came to him, would have kept him from leaving. What a contrast we see there from the, how the people of Nazareth responded. Completely opposite. Remember from verse 14 and 15 that he started out in the Nazareth synagogue, and Jesus had begun teaching, and, and they rejected him at Nazareth, his hometown. They drove him out of the town. They sought to push him off the cliff so that they could stone him to death. And it's interesting, by the way, I went over it quickly, that Jesus passes through the midst I mean, how did one, pass, one man pass through an angry mob and perhaps another a hint of his authority or just God's protecting power. From verses 31 and 38, uh, we're, we're told that he went to Capernaum, first to the synagogue and then to Simon Peter's house. And according to Luke's gospel, Simon Peter would have not yet been a disciple at this point. And it is Capernaum, likely in Peter's house, from, from which he is departing. 
So now the question, why are they wanting him to stay? Uh, so that they would seek him and come to him and try to keep him from leaving. And, and, and why didn't they chase him out of town like the people of Nazareth did? How, how could you get such a vast a contrast in their responses to him? I, I think the text is quite clear. We see a, a few things. Uh, first, they, they acknowledged the authority of his teaching. They too were astonished by Jesus, and they acknowledged that his words possessed authority. Again, Luke doesn't tell us what Jesus was teaching them. He, he doesn't specify that for us. However, I think it'd be a reasonable assumption that he started out with the same reading from Isaiah. He, he's letting them know the same thing, uh, that it, this, this is now coming to pass in your midst. Secondly, they, they witness a demon declaring Jesus to be the Holy One of God. That would have been interesting, wouldn't it? A, a demon declaring Him to be the Holy One of God. They see the evidence of His authority by His silencing of that demon and casting that demon out. Uh, authority demands submission. Submission, not a popular world, word in our, in our culture today, is it? Then he even displays authority over illness. What does he do? He rebukes the fever of Simon's mother-in-law. And then according to verses 40 and 41, now when the sun was setting... All those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. At the end of the Sabbath, these people witnessed and experienced healings. And this is a unique section here because he says all and every. We don't see that in, in Jesus' other healing accounts. It's, he does some and, and, and here and there, but here he's doing all and every. And, he's, and they're seeing demons cast out. And those demons silenced. So, of course, the people of Capernaum didn't want him to leave. They wanted more, right? But there's one thing I want you to notice again in 42. Notice the three verbs in this verse that cause us to slow down as readers here. Note the tension. And the people sought him. And knowing all that Jesus had done, this was very intentional seeking, right? They're trying to find him. And they came to him, and they would have kept him from leaving them. A little tension there, isn't there? They would have kept him from leaving them. And some of you are thinking, so what? They wanted to spend more time with Jesus. Aren't you preacher types always telling us to spend more time with Jesus? Right? We do that sometimes. Isn't that what we should all want? Yes. We should all want more time with Jesus. 
However, for it to say that they would have kept him from leaving suggests what? It's pretty simple. Jesus was trying to do something. He was trying to leave. For someone to keep someone else from leaving implies simply that someone is trying to leave. Okay? I know that's really profound. You can go home now. I've cleared that up for you. Whether intentional or not, the people of Capernaum are working in opposition to the purposes of Christ. They're working in opposition to what Jesus is trying to do next. So we are not to hinder the movement of the kingdom of God, but to rather surrender ourselves to that king. The people of Capernaum are simply saying, we want more of this guy. We don't want him to go anywhere. Yesterday, we saw miracles. Miracle after miracle. We'd be crazy not to keep him around. We've never seen this kind of power. Can you just imagine it? Can you try? Just think about it. Sight given to the blind right in front of you. The lame walk. And the possessed are freed. One after another. And people are losing their voices from shouting and praising. They're exhausted with joy and overwhelmed with emotion. No doubt thinking, stay with us forever. We will make you very welcome here in Capernaum. D.E. Garland writes, They are looking for him in Capernaum because of the miracles, not because of his words. The disciples would like to accommodate this surge in popularity. More evening healings with a band concert. Perhaps they would even develop a Capernaum healing theme park. That sounds like a neat theme park, doesn't it? And yet a a major problem in the midst, right? In doing so, they would have kept Jesus from pursuing his purpose, his mission. And possibly even with good intentions of wanting him to stay with Jesus, or wanting to stay with Jesus, these people are getting in the way. They're hindering him. I ask you, is that a problem? Is there an issue there? When the people's desires then push the mission of Jesus aside, I would think so. But let's just look at it from the perspective of Jesus for a minute. I mean, if if you've had a, a, a night of ministry like that, well, why would you leave in the height of that ministry? Why would you then go to a desolate place? You have this incredible experience. Supernatural power on display. The people are responding and loving every bit of it. You're a hero to them. And the first thing Jesus does next morning is leave. Why? Likely to pray. Mark records a parallel, uh, the, of the parallel passage. And elsewhere in Luke, we see that Jesus would often withdraw and pray. Mark one thirty-five. 
And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Luke 5, 16, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And this just forces me here to take a moment here to say what a great example to us as believers, especially those of us who are committed to ministry in whatever form. We must discipline ourselves to to remember our source of strength, to remember to thank God for what He's doing. to remember where real change comes from. And and in so doing, remember our own limitations. To refresh our own souls in solitude before the Lord. To refocus on the Lord. And even accept redirection from Him. I remember amazing amounts of time just coming before the Lord in prayer, even in, in regards to the decision to leave Illinois and come here and to be the pastor here. There, there, there just had to be that time where I just had to say, Lord, what is it you desire from me? To get away from all other things going on and just say, Lord, You have your way. Empower me to make the right decision. Show me what you want. We as believers must constantly return to the well to be refreshed, to redirected, to remember the things we need to remember. Ask any pastor or missionary or ministry leader or ministry volunteer that it can be very easy to, to, to just do ministry, to go through the motions. And you get up in the morning and you do it again. You get up in the morning and you do it again. And you kind of have this little, you know, wash, rinse, repeat kind of thing or whatever, whatever it is. But you're just going through the motions. And if Jesus demonstrates this this importance on withdrawing to pray before starting something, then, then we should consider this as essential for our ministries as well. But Jesus also leaves Capernaum because He wants something greater than healings. He wants more. He wants much more. So even the people of Capernaum who desperately want him to stay, Jesus has more in mind. And he makes it clear to them there in verse 43. What does he say to them? He says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Regardless of the pressure from the people, the mission remains the mission. Understand, Jesus was sought after by the people for the purposes of the people, okay? Healing and and being amazed, etc., right? However, verse 43, Jesus demonstrates that his mission had a greater purpose than that, more important than just blessing people with what they sought or what they wanted. 
His mission was more important than that. And I want you to give that some thought. More important than what the people sought. Perhaps you can draw your mind to back to being a little child when there was not much greater in life than, than getting a, an ice cream sundae. And most of us know that if you, if you offer a child the choice between a fresh, beautiful ice cream sundae loaded with whipped cream and all the good stuff and free college tuition, <laughs> they're going for the ice cream, aren't they? Right? I mean, that ice cream looks good. A ridiculous example, although true. He's saying there's more here than just healings. It wasn't just about that. It wasn't just making, about making sure everybody was feeling good that night, had their ailments cured. Now, I don't want to be too hard on the people of Capernaum here because uh, certainly they love seeing his power and authority in regards to the miracles. But no doubt, some were seeking to hear more of what, about what Jesus said, but uh, undoubtedly they were drawn in by the miracles. But Jesus knows what he must do. A healing was to be part of that. Remember what we looked at in, in those Isaiah passages that, that he quoted. Healing was to be part of that. Sight to the blind, freedom for the captives. Certainly that would include people being demon-possessed, being uh, freed of those demons. That's freeing captives. But he, he is the fulfillment of prophecy. Remember back in Luke chapter 1, in verse 31, what, what was said to Mary, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This speaks far of far more than temporal blessings, doesn't it? This is about the kingdom of God throne, rule, kingdom. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. Verse 44, and he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. There's some debate about on what, the, what Judea this means, meaning all of Israel, or not just the area called Judea to the south. There's some confusion about it. Judea is often just considered the land of the Jews. It seems to me that it, it speaks of the entire area. His mission of speaking in the synagogues continues. He has his regularly planned ministry times in the, in the synagogues as well as the day-to-day -day interactions on the roads and the markets and the towns. But I want to come back to what he says in verse 33 or 43. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Note that this is the first 
of 32 mentions of the kingdom of God that we will see in the book of Luke. Luke loves the theme of the kingdom of God, and we'll see that about 25% of those references to the kingdom of God uh, speak of preaching the kingdom of God. So what's the kingdom of God? Now understand, Jesus just opened up a very big subject here, and when you hear kingdom, you should think of ruling and reigning. The kingdom of God is the rightful rule of God in the process of becoming the effectual rule of God. The authority that God rightly possesses. And by the way, the kingdom is demanding submission. The message Jesus is proclaiming is this, is that the the reign of God has arrived. The kingdom of God is at hand. The messianic king that you've waited for, he's saying, I'm here. Know the salvation of the Lord. The good news is that the good king is here to rule and to reign. Kevin DeYoung says this, where God is acknowledged, where his subjects are saved, where his enemies are vanquished, where his ways are obeyed, there we see the coming of the kingdom. Leon Morris writes, here it must suffice to say that it is God's rule in action. The Jews looked forward to a time when God would assert himself as king over the nations. Jesus taught that God's kingdom had already come in him, in the authority with which he combated evil. In a sense, the kingdom was a present reality. In another sense, it was yet to come in all of its fullness. The kingdom was already. Jesus was the embodiment of the kingdom of God. Healing, authority over evil, authority over sin, and yet not realized. What we read from 131 through 33, future considerations, the throne of David, eternal realities. Jesus' action here also teaches us that his ministry was not defined or valued based upon numbers or the acceptance of what he did. He was driven by the plan for all to hear the good news. That was his mission. That was his purpose. Certainly, there would have been a desire within him to just keep enjoying all the affection and all the appreciation he was getting from the people of Capernaum, Uh, the, the pressure to be successful in ministry, to be popular, to have people track with you or agree with you, right? Do you remember later on when Jesus was teaching about his body and his blood being these essential for eternal life. In the Gospel of John, chapter 6, let me pick it up in verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself 
that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were that, who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by my Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus didn't evaluate ministry based upon whether or not there were many following him or few. The purpose and the mission didn't change based upon the desires of the people. You and I might think, why didn't Jesus just soften it up or tone it down a little bit for them and, and keep more with him? And, and I'll share with you, one of the greatest heartaches of pastoral ministry has been watching people hear the news of Jesus and choose to not follow, choose to not respond. And there's within my heart just even a sense of compassion wanting to do something to try to sweeten the deal, right? But the Word is the Word and the Gospel is the Gospel. And if, if He's not stirred in the hearts of people to respond, then it's not happening. But their responses don't change His mission. Their desire for Him to stay doesn't mean He stays. He says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. In 2002, Pastor Rick Warren from Saddleback Church in California published a book, a book that became very popular called The Purpose Driven Life. Since been tra tra translated into 137 languages, more than 50 million copies sold I can tell you for a fact that this made his youth pastor, Doug Fields, very bitter because he had previously published a book called Purpose Driven Youth Ministry. It was not nearly as popular and he didn't make near as much money. But Warren's book was wildly successful because it scratched a proverbial itch for people. People who were asking the question, what on earth am I here for? You don't know about the book, I'll ruin it for you, by saying he really just said, you have five essential purposes. Purpose number one, you were planned for God's pleasure. Uh, you were planned and, and created to worship God. There's an instinctual desire in you to worship, to, to put your admiration towards something. I think that's part of the reason we respond to sports the way we do or various musics. There's, there's something in us that's just built to worship. You were planned for God's pleasure. Number two, you were formed for God's family. That's Christian fellowship. You're, you're to be together in fellowship with other believers. You were created to become like Christ. That's discipleship. 
That's why we say here at Parkview that we exist to glorify God through the whole church, forming whole disciples of Jesus Christ for the good of all people. That's why we emphasize the importance of learning and loving and living Jesus. Discipleship. Purpose number four, you were shaped for serving God. Christian ministry, using the gifts that you have in one way or another to serve the kingdom of God. And purpose number five, you were made for a mission. To be on mission with Christ to reach a lost world. Now, it may sound like it, my purpose is not to do a book report or to promote a book. Generally speaking, it was a good book, and I believe that God used it in a big way. But we see here that Jesus understands his purpose, and knowing his purpose then helps him make the right decisions. And I think that's important for you and I as well, because we can let other things in the world decide our purpose. And the problem of Capernaum was simple. They were greatly drawn in by the lesser blessing. That the temporal, it was, was what brought them in. They were interested in Jesus, the healer. And, and I can understand that. And, and who could criticize them for that, right? It's okay to desire that. I felt rotten for the majority of the week, and I would have been very interested in having some time with Jesus, the healer. But we don't miss out on seeking Jesus, the Redeemer King, over desiring our own temporary things. Capernaum was taking it all in. They were loving it. They were seeing such amazing things. And, and they wanted him to stay because they were drawn in by Jesus, the healer. Alexander McLaren said, Offer men smaller gifts, and they will run over one another in their scramble for them. But offer them the highest, and they scarcely hold out a languid hand to take them. Jesus was clear about his identity and, and mission. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. I want to be cautious in how we word it. We, want to say, we don't want to say he knew why he existed because we have to remember that he transcends time. He has and always will exist. However, we can say that he knew why he took on flesh. He came bringing the kingdom of God, bringing and being in his very self the good news. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Does the authority of Christ factor into your life? Do you live according to his purposes for your life? Do you follow his example in that way? Or do you get thrown off by chasing the temporal and trading in ice cream for tuition? Would you join me in prayer? 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you for our Savior, our Redeemer King. And Lord, we thank you that he didn't get distracted by the temporary things, by the praises of people, by the desires of people, but rather he stayed on his mission. That he knew it was more than just healing people's physical needs or whatever. But it was dressing the heart of the matter. And being the one to bridge the gap between a sinful mankind and the holy God like you are. That he knew that his purpose was to bring your kingdom, to be the king of that kingdom, and, and to do that and to bridge the gap and to redeem us by going to the cross, dying in our place, and rising again in victory over the grave. Father, we thank you that we can approach you and we can find the greater of the things that Jesus was offering there in knowing that redemption is found through faith in Jesus Christ and what he accomplished. That we can be your children because of what he did. And Father, we give you thanks and praise. Father, we adore you. And Jesus, we give thanks for you being a king who stayed on mission. God, we love you, and it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.